Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Welcome to Living Well. I am Ann Beal, and I have a special guest today to discuss one topic, a special topic called Living Excellence. A perfect guest for this topic I have, his name is Chad Hennings. You may have heard of him. He has lived excellence through his nine-year NFL career. Three Super Bowl championships with the Dallas Cowboys. Let me just say, yay, Cowboys, because you guys know we're in Dallas. 45 successful combat missions with the Air Force. One of the most decorated college football players ever. Um, He has a wonderful ministry to men, and he's a philanthropist. And I am so honored to be in your home today. And I thank you for being on the show, Chad. And it's a pleasure to be with you. Now, you have spoken around the world on excellence. And um, you talk about living excellence versus attaining excellence. I was listening to many of the things you've spoken on. Um, When we talk about your life and attaining excellence and living excellence, this just sounds like something that you have chosen to just really be almost like your, your passion and purpose to spread. Amen. It's, you know, to me, living excellence, it's, it's not a destination. It's a process. It's a journey. It's the decisions that we make day to day. And it's a choice to be our best self every day. And it's an aspect of not just concentrating on how to Im- improve or, or better our status in life, but it's how to help others. It's being that servant leader to be selfless, you know, to be self-disciplined. But to, you know, another thing that a mentor of mine once said, it's, it's the learning to bloom where you're planted. You know, f- fertilize the garden in which, you know, the good Lord has placed you in and, and to make that a better place. And you grew up on a farm in Iowa. Am I right about that? That's correct. I'm I love a farm boy from that. Iowa. Yeah. And, and I heard um, you speaking about how when somebody asked you, what do you think defined your character, I think it was, what was the most defining thing? Um, and you paused, you hesitated, and you said, growing up on the farm. Well, I think, you know, just watching the examples of my father, my grandfather, Working that farm, our family farm has been in our family for over 125 plus years. Wow. So we're very rooted and established in, in that part of the great state of Iowa. And, um, you know, to see them, what they did, whether it didn't matter how they felt, you know, if they were ill, whatever, you had to get up, you had to do chores, you had to feed the livestock, you had to, you know, take care of the, the farm. If you didn't do it, who, who was there to do that? So I learned a lot about work ethic and, and giving of yourself, responsibility, commitment. And, and to me, that's, um, that inspired me to, to be my best self each and every day, to get up and to, you know, I had, again, I had that choice. You know, there's so many times where we come to those crossroads in life where we can choose to go to the left or to the right. And, and depending upon, you know, our identity as to who we are as individuals, you know, determines which way to go, and, you know, our character in essence. And, and that just, I, I learned a lot of those lessons there and then. Well, your parents really blessed you that way. <laughs> oh, very much so. You know, and you wonder, like, um, you know, we had a ranch, and so I can really relate to the work that you had to do. How do you grow your kids that way since you're not on the farm? You know, it's, for me, it's, I talk about ownership. 
talk about owning who you are. You have a choice, again, as to, to who you choose to be each and every day. And through that experience on the farm, you know, we had, again, to make those choices, but it's about ownership, taking pride in, in your work and who you are and, and trying to help others um, achieve their goals, their aspirations, to live their best self each and every day. And that's where, you know, teaching my kids, I gave them the, the, the opportunity to have skin in the game, have skin that responsibility to have chores, to, you know, for financial decisions when they got to age appropriate, where they had their own checking account, that they were responsible for paying for certain things, that then they learned the value of finances. Then they, you know, the example of, as a Christian, to, to tithe, to give back to your blessings. Um, to the Lord, and then uh, a variety of different things where when they own it, they take responsibility, then that becomes a part of them, and that continues on to that tradition of you know living excellence. Well, and I, I know that you were a fighter pilot, um, and you chose the Air Force Academy because was that to play football, or did you? Like, how did you choose? It was originally to play football, I wanted to play Division One college football. Uh, again, growing up in a rural community in Iowa, I wasn't highly recruited to go to a lot of your major schools, or football, powerhouse schools. But I knew the importance that I wanted to get a great education and have a great experience and a, and a challenge to see, quote unquote, if I had the right stuff. Yeah. So I chose the Air Force Academy and, and I was able to get my nomination to uh, uh, for my appointment to go to the service academy, but I was able to play and I had a great football career there. And... But I had a military commitment on the back end of that, a military commitment to serve a minimum of five years, but I chose to serve eight because I wanted to fly jets. You're in the Air Force, fly jets, be a fighter pilot. Um, but it was a crossroads for me, and we may talk about this later in the interview, too, of before graduating from the Air Force Academy, I was drafted by America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. So you were drafted before you graduated? Before I graduated. Okay. So, but I had still a military obligation to serve, but internally I was really conflicted that again, I wanted to compete. I wanted to see if I had quote unquote the right stuff to be able to play in the NFL, but I had a military obligation to serve because I attended the service academy. So if that was before you graduated, then that was Tom Landry then. That actually yes. no Tom uh, Tom Landry and Gil Brandt and Tex Schramm, that, wow. that administration or that that um, ownership of the team was the ones that drafted. That's me. awesome. That had to be so you met Tom Landry. Yes, I did. That's awesome. That's yeah. a great no, experience. He's, he's a, was a, is was a great man and uh, very well respected in the league, and he's one of those guys that you know, truly lived excellence. Also, yeah, yeah. So you went ahead, you got drafted by them, but you went ahead and you graduated and then joined the, joined the Air Force. Well, I'm, I was a part of the Air Force while well, going academy. to a service academy. Right. But um, I went through pilot training um, at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas, received the assignment to fly an A-10 Warthog, went through all the training to fly that. Then my uh, active duty time was spent in Europe flying in USAFE, flying into part of Western Germany during the latter part of the Cold War. And then the Gulf War kicked off in 1991, and my squadron of A-10s was the first, um, one of the first USAFE squadrons, how our military breaks up into different mm -hmm. commands and branches, uh, was the first ones to be tasked to help support uh, the Kurds uh, in northern Iraq 
fly us. So we flew missions out of Incirlik, Turkey, in the northern part of Iraq to help protect the Kurds against Saddam Hussein's Republican Guard divisions. Because previously, a, a couple years prior to that, they had dropped chemical weapons, mustard gas, and, and tried to commit genocide, basically, against the Kurdish people. So we were there to provide a military presence and also provide um, drop relief supplies to them and, um, and set up uh, what they eventually became Operation Northern Watch. Wow. So the Dallas Cowboys waited on you all this time? They waited four years before. That's and, wild. And technically, I should have probably never played in the NFL. Because I had a military obligation to sit of eight years, and by the time, and that was after finishing pilot training, so I was 23 years old, 24 years old almost, so I'd have been a 31, 32-year-old rookie in the NFL if I'd have fulfilled my whole commitment. But after the Gulf War, our armed forces went with what they called a reduction in force, where they gave waivers for pilot training commitment, and they waived not enough people were getting out, so they waived two years off the service academy commitment, and not just for me, but across the board for any individual that wanted to get out. So my window of opportunity is probably about a two-month window that I was able to leave the Air Force, uh, serve my commitment to them, and then go play for the Cowboys. And my first year with the Cowboys was 1992, so our first Super Bowl victory. Yes, that's just kind of unbelievable because do they normally draft people and then wait years on them? No. The only guy, the only two other guys that they had done that for, one was Roger Staubach. Oh, Roger Staubach, that's right. And then Herschel Walker was another one that, but he didn't go serve military time. He went to play for a rival league, the U, the old USFL. But I think I'm the only guy that I can think of, at least for the Air Force, that would actually have quote unquote flown a mission in combat, flown into a combat zone, mm-hmm. and then played in the Super Bowl within a year's time. Yeah, that's that's wild. And so not only did was it rare that the Cowboys would draft you and then wait all those years? But also, I haven't heard of the military waving. Was it two years or two years? And two that was years. something that they had never done before. But subsequently, though, there have been other players from service academies that have gone on um, to play. It's become not more common, but there are those rare individuals that have the talent. Because typically, people don't go to a service academy when you have the opportunity to play a professional sport. No. You go there because you want to serve and you want to become an officer in your respective branch. But they saw the, well, I'll say that the military saw some of the benefits of, say, having me play a game on nationally televised broadcast and have like John Madden, the commentator, or Pat Summerall, if I made a tackle or whatnot, say, hey, Chad Hennings, Air Force Academy graduate, former A-10 pilot, you know, how the heck did he ever fit into that cockpit? You know, and that's... um, advertising or marketing dollars that the Air Force didn't have to pay for, nor our military had to pay for. And they saw the benefits of that. So they subsequently established a program called an elite athlete program where you, a service academy graduate can graduate, do two years active duty, and then uh, transfer the remaining three years of their five-year commitment to a, res- uh, a reserve commission go play their individual sport if they got a contract and then fulfill their time that way so they're still serving. So those nine years that you served in the reserves, they, they weren't required for you to get out no. early? No, I, I did that because I still wanted to serve. I still wanted to wear wow. the uniform and be a part of, of the Air Force. That's awesome. So I ended up doing four years active duty you know, as a, as a fighter pilot and then um, nine plus years thereafter 
um, as a reservist. And basically, I was a spokesperson, talked to different people about you know the benefits of the Air Force Academy, Air Force, and the military in general. So you were tougher by the time you actually played versus when you were drafted because you'd oh, been through a lot. You know, I, I, <laughs> uh, mentally, uh, physically, as well as emotionally, I was way, way more mature. You know, I was able to put on about 20-plus pounds um, because when you're flying those missions and you're deployed, there's not right. much to do except fly, you know, eat pizza, and work out. So I was able to put on some great weight. And, again, not knowing that I was able to was going to be able to play, but, you know, I did that. And then um, emotionally as a, as a fighter pilot, you know, flying missions in combat, there's, you know, it doesn't get any more stressful at times than that. So but when I got to the NFL, you know, what are they going to do to me there? And then, you know, of course, spiritually, just growing up as a man, as a person, as an individual that, you know, in my early 20s, having to fly missions in combat, be a fighter pilot, be responsible for millions of dollars of, of government equipment and to put yourself out there into harm's way and, to, you know, to trust your teammates to, to fly with your wingman, to be a good wingman, to be a good flight lead, you know, a variety of different things that, when I got to the NFL, when I was well, 27 years old during my first season, I was already uh, done way more than a lot of my contemporary or my fellow rookies have who just graduated from college. Well, you've done more than most people at that age, I would think. Well, you know, life's an opportunity to live experiences and to live it to its fullest. And, and you know, I, I took advantage of the opportunities that I had. Well, when you think of playing for the Cowboys— you were a defensive tackle, right? Right. Um, I know people wonder what was the hardest person you had to tackle. Well, the hardest, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of the the best players that I ever played. You know, I have asked that question: Who is the, the best offensive lineman, or who is the best running back, or who is the best whatever? And I would say a lot of those guys were my teammates. I ended up playing with six Hall of Famers. You know, on those Super Bowl championship teams from Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith, Charles Haley, Deion Sanders, Larry Allen. And, and those guys were, you know, arguably the best of the best or the best that ever have played the game. But regarding an individual that was probably the hardest to tackle. Yeah, because I would see you bringing people down on the ground quickly, you know, yeah. and I think there has to be somebody that you just. There are those guys that, that the best running back ever for me that I ever played against was Barry Sanders. Really? Oklahoma, yeah, Oklahoma State University yeah. product and Detroit Lion. That guy was amazing. He lives in Colleyville. Dearly, very. Yes, he does. That's awesome. <laughs> but he, uh, grew, you know, by far, in my opinion, the greatest running back and, and probably the toughest offensive lineman I ever faced was, again, my teammate, Larry Allen. This, oh, Larry. When somebody can bench press 750 pounds plus, you know, that's like benching a Volkswagen. Can he really? Well, or used, used to, to be, used be able, able to, to right. do that. But yeah. no, that's, that's just taking physical performance to the, the nth degree. And yeah. these guys were, you know, anomalies amongst athletes. Well, and when you think about excellence um, in, in, in fighter pilot, um, flying the jets, being responsible for the money that the military pays for those jets. And I didn't really think about the pilots really thinking about that, being careful with the equipment. Um, bringing it home. Well, or- yes and no. I mean, you're responsible in the fact that that taking care of that equipment is your life. I mean, if the, you don't take care of the equipment, oh, you don't it's take not going to get you home. <laughs> yeah, I That's mean, it's true. not going to get you back. Yeah. But at the at the 
other side of the fence, though, is if you got into a situation where there meant your life or the, the aircraft, we always talk about eject and give it back to the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to put yourself, push the envelope too much to put yourself into to harm's way, particularly if you have, you know, if you, you've taken on flak or a surface air missile hits you that you have to get out of the jet, you get out of the jet. Get out of the jet. Well, the excellence that you applied there, though, in your military um, service, because they liked you immensely, to let you out like that and to let you have that relationship with the Cowboys while you were in there. I know sometimes they stopped it, so you couldn't talk to them while you were in the military because they were affecting your service or something. Well, that was an example when I was going, when I talked about the early internal turmoil that I experienced going through pilot training. When I said I went through Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, that's only an hour and a half outside the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex where the Cowboys play. Oh, yeah. And I would go in the fall during those, uh, during that time when I was in pilot training, I'd come down to games and I'd get sideline passes, my buddies, and I would get a chance to go to the Cowboy games. So th- that was inner turmoil for me that I would often get calls while getting ready to step out to, to fly a training mission from somebody from the Dallas media, you know, wanting to know when I was going to get out of my commitment and, you know, and come play for the Cowboys that, you know, they were curious as to what my story is, where I was, what was, what I was doing because I had been drafted you right. know, in that draft class. And it was just became a, a total distraction because here I was, I'm trying to concentrate, you know, I'm a little bit oversized to begin with that I had to receive waivers for my height and weight to be able to fly. And, uh, it started to impact a little bit on my performance of, of trying to get through pilot training. So it, what they had done then is basically said that Chad Hennings or Lieutenant Hennings is no longer here for any interviews. You know, we'll do them at an appropriate time, but let him give him the opportunity to concentrate on, on being an officer first because, you know, I made that choice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to serve my commitment. Playing for the Cowboys was never an option at that time. So... I had to work through a lot of uh, internal strife to be able to do what I you know, said that I was going to do, follow through with my commitment, even though emotionally I was torn that I wanted to compete and play for the Cowboys. And yet you believe you did the right thing. Oh, totally did the right thing. Yeah. Totally did the right thing. And even if I was never been able to play for the Cowboys, which I resigned myself to that, that, hey, it was, you know, I had a great collegiate career. I'm going to be the best officer I can be in the Air Force. And, you know, if, if they wouldn't have made those waivers back in 1992, I'd probably would just be getting ready to retire from the Air Force now. I'd have followed through on the whole well, career. Yeah, well, you know, it's clear that God really blessed you, that you you kept to your commitment, you followed through on your word, and then he made a way for you to have your second dream, which right. was playing for the Dallas Cowboys. Did you want to play for the Dallas Cowboys the whole time, or did you know? You know, I just wanted to play. You just wanted to play. I just wanted to be able to compete, you know, but it was a good thing that it was able to work out the way that it did because whether you like them or not, the Cowboys are known as America's team. They are still, in my well, opinion. <laughs> they are, but they are, not even arguably, the most recognized, one of the top two most recognized sports franchises in the world. Where you know Fortune magazine just came out and I think listed them number two as far as the most valuable franchise in the world, and and I can remember whether I was based in England flying missions there or you know in Turkey, people knew the Dallas Cowboys. They knew the star on the side of the helmet. 
So I saw the power of that brand back then. And that's when I was like, you know what? This is another God thing that I was able to be drafted by the Cowboys to be able to go play for America's team because I had been flying and fighting for America and for America's team, you know, the Air Force mm-hmm. or the U.S. military. And you've stayed here in the area. Once a cowboy, always a oh, cowboy. Once a cowboy, always a cowboy. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, I want you to share about wingmen. I see you're wearing a wingman shirt. Um, I'd like you to share about the ministry that you do with men. Okay. And um, we'll come back and have you explain exactly what a wingman is, even okay. as a pilot, because you can explain that well and, um, and let people know as a pilot what a wingman is and then as your ministry how you reached out to men. We'll see you right back here after the break. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Most married men experience frustration because there are things they want from their wives but don't know how to get them. Nothing seems to work. Desires are unfulfilled, fantasies unrealized, and relationships become stagnant. Men are desperate today for a richer, deeper, more satisfying, and intimate marriage. Dr. Jim Slaughter teaches men how to have the passionate, fulfilling marriage they've always wanted. Call 817-991-4964 or email jslaughterphd at yahoo.com to begin transforming your marriage into what you want it to be. Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to LifeSolutionsCoachingAndCounseling.com or email them at LifeSolutions.com cc at yahoo.com build your better business achieve that goal make good on that resolution the voice america empowerment channel it's your world motivate change succeed Listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I am Ann Beal, and my guest today is Tad Henning, and he is a Dallas Cowboy great, nine year veteran with the Dallas Cowboys, uh, three Super Bowl championships. He has three Super Bowl rings. If you go to the guest page, you can see his picture with his rings. <laughs> he proudly portrays all his rings. Um, in the first segment, we were discussing Chad's Air Force um, service as a pilot, flying A-10 jets. Is that right, Chad? That's correct. Right. And his football career with the Dallas Cowboys. And that the cool way things worked out by getting drafts, drafted while he was in the Air Force Academy and then serving four years and then going to play for the Cowboys. Correct. That's and right. the, that was really neat. <clears throat> now, can you explain to us what a wingman, what a wingman is when you fly as a pilot? Well, when, you, when we would fly missions, whether that be a training mission or a combat mission, you would never go solo when you were going to do a closer support, whether that's aerial uh, 
air to air or, or air interdiction, you know, whatever mission that you would fly, you'd always fly with either another plane, one wingman, a two ship, or what we call the four ship, four planes going together. And the purpose of that is for mutual support. That um, if, if you take care of your wingman and your wingman takes care of you, that means not being selfish, means protecting your other women, wingman's, we call it six o'clock, behind him on his side, because we all have certain blind spots that mm-hmm. we cannot see. That that mutual protection um, aids in accomplishing the mission. And we always talk about it. You know, if you don't take care of your wingman and your wingman doesn't take care of you, the likelihood of you accomplishing your mission, you know, goes way down. But the likelihood of something bad happening to you goes way up. And I took that analogy and, and I formed uh, a ministry, a men's ministry called, called Wingman. Because there are a lot of times that every time that we would fly, you know, mission in combat, I would fly into northern Iraq. If, when we would come out, we'd always do a battle damage check, which meant that one wingman, one jet would kind of drop in behind the other one and fly a 360 degrees around him to look to see if he had any potential battle damage, if he had any fluids leaking out of his engines or hydraulic fluid out of uh, 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 an aileron or a, uh, a flight control or just if there was any bullet holes or whatnot. And when he would do that for me, I would do that same thing for him. And if there was, I had one time where on my initial deployment to Turkey flying out of England um, where I ended up having to lose an engine. Mm. So here I am in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, just uh, across the boot of Italy, uh, flying t- eastbound towards, towards Turkey, uh, just south of the island of Crete. For those of you who are geographically challenging, you can go on a globe and take a look at that. But I ended up losing an engine. And it was for me... My wingman, we were in a four-ship formation, and everybody, I did the checklist. You know, I had another wingman help read me the checklist while I was maintaining flight control. You know, I ended up having a, I lost an oil uh, seal on my engine, and I was leaking oil, and my oil pressure was going down, and they didn't want the engine to seize, so I ended up having to shoot, shut the engine down. And and for those uh, aviation aficionados, the A-10 on two engines and is an underpowered aircraft, let alone on one. So I'm flying single engine over the Mediterranean. Um, my Another wingman was making radio calls, coordinating as to where we were going to divert into. And we ended up, unfortunately, flying into Suda Bay, which was a naval air station on the island of Crete. And without my wingman there, it would have been very difficult for me to be able to, to do that all on my own. I'd be quote unquote task saturated, you know, multitasking, couldn't get any of that accomplished by myself. So that's the beauty and the benefit of wingmen. And I, again, and I took that same analogy and formed a men's ministry called wingmen, mm-hmm. where the whole thing for us is to form those, you know, transparent, Christ centered, masculine relationships, to live life together, to be, have a few wingmen, not a lot of guys, to have either one or two or three or four guys that you can walk through life together to inspire us, to encourage us to be better husbands, fathers, as well as men of faith. And I talk about, I use that analogy of that battle damage check because there's a lot of times where men, whether decisions that we have made that have impacted us through, you know, I'll call them bonehead decisions that you mm-hmm. know, as a wife. I'll agree a with wife, that. Yeah, I'm just kidding. A, a wife and a mom, you know, a female can probably say amen to that, but... Um, you know, life happens, but then there's times too that things happen to us that you know we didn't ask for, 
and we didn't des necessarily deserve, but yet they did, you know, as far as maybe abuse as a child, being abused by a coach, you know, a loved one or whatnot, that, you know, it's difficult for, for people to, to walk through. And I talk about that battle damage check because we need others to come beside us to walk through life, to make sure we're okay, to check in on us, to help us where we need to go and to eventually get down to land to, to be safe, to get things corrected and rectified. And that was one of the lessons that I learned, you know, early in pilot training is it says that, you know, you never fly into uh, thunderstorms. Well, yeah. Because, okay. well, you know, but if you find yourself in one, what do you do? You don't change heading and you don't change altitude. You maintain, you know, level flight to get through the time of stress or turmoil. And that's the same thing in life, that if you find yourself in those times of crisis, you don't make drastic changes. You don't change your altitude, change your heading. Get through that particular predicament first, and then decide where you're going to go thereafter. And I, and I draw all these aviation military analogies to when I speak to groups talk, to talk about life, because you need a wingman there just to walk through life, and particularly when bad things happen, if you have an engine malfunction or you have to divert into a, a foreign country, whatnot, or if you find yourself in those in a thunderstorm, because you, know, you can't see, because your, you can't see, yeah, and it's and it's to protect each other, and and to walk through life, and that's that's why I use the analogy of wingman, and it's it's not like in some of these beer commercials that you know the wingman takes the not so attractive female while you go after her her friend or whatever. Yeah. You know, that, that's not the analogy, but in a true life situation, in an aviation example, it's wingmen are those that are there to accomplish a specific mission. They're unified. They have a same focus. Um, and they're there to, to provide mutual protection for one another. Because if something happens to your wingman, the likelihood of something bad happening to you is just as likely. So that's why we are, are totally transparent. We get into each other's quote-unquote business at times that if you're doing something wrong and your wingman's there to provide that not just mutual support but to call you out if you're doing something that um, you know you shouldn't be doing well and it's it's interesting when you think about that analogy about a thunderstorm and not being able to see because I guess as a wingman all you'd be able to see of the other pilots are their lights and you would right. follow their lights right that's really cool yeah because the men supporting each other because men tend to um, isolate, um, go to work, come home for their family, and they don't really get out with their peers enough. Well, and that's one of the things, too, I think our culture really tells a man that if to, to be strong, to be a quote-unquote, parentheses, man, means you have to be like John Wayne or Gary Cooper at high noon standing in Main Street telling the whole world, you know, I'm standing alone, I can do this, I am a strong man, or, or Rambo. But in real life, you know, in special operations or in an aviation, anybody doing a mission, you never go by yourself. We weren't meant to be isolated. We were meant for relationships. But when men buy into that aspect, what the culture's telling that you have to, you know, don't let anybody into your business. Don't let anybody know what you're doing. You know, stand tall, stand strong, be isolated. And if you can't overcome it by your own strength, then you're a failure, which is total opposite of, of what reality is and what we all should be doing is, is leaning upon one another and, and walking through life together. You know, that's one of the advents too of, of this whole thing with a lot of our military uh, men and women coming back from downrange with post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. 
when people can't because of things that either they've seen or things that have happened to them or even things that have happened to one of their uh, fellow military members, you know, where they didn't have control over, they can't process through or they can't rationalize or reason through that. So that's, it's like their in, internal uh, compass goes awry and they can't think themselves out of it and they can't rationalize themselves out of it. But you look at medical journals or, or psychiatric journals and they say the number one treatment for post-traumatic stress is to talk with somebody else. Isn't that amazing? It's just to just share. To so yeah, that's what I talk about, you know, with guys that there's a lot of men that are walking around that have post-traumatic stress. There's a lot of men that have lost their compass. A lot of people, you know, women but too. In general. Yeah. But women have a tendency that they're more open, they can share, and they're, they're more willing to do that. It's easier right. for them. But for men, it's not. It's something that's, you know, it's against their, their nature to do that. So that's what I encourage women to be is, you know, a man of strength. A man of character, a, a true wingman is somebody that can walk through life with just a few inches. I'm not talking about getting in front of a, a whole group or a church and just leaves where I'm at. But yeah. it's just with a few trusted individuals that you can walk through life together. That's what wingman is about. What motivated you? What was the passion? that? What drove that for you to uh, really reach out? I mean, was it loneliness? Was it isolation that you felt at one time in your life to really see this as so important for men? Well, and that's, I think, for a lot of motivation for anybody to either start a business, start a ministry, do anything, it's out of a selfish need. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I started. I didn't do that because I remember how I struggled when I left the Air Force and came to play for the Cowboys. I really didn't have the true friendships to share with people that, hey, I'm, I'm struggling here. You know, I'm having a difficult time of trying to work my way through this to figure out, you know, identity, who I am, as well as just the physical challenges of, of all that. Yeah. So, and that's where uh, I wanted, I needed that in my life. And, um, you know, I still need that today. So you have friends now. You know, when you think of, you have a couple. Well, but, you know, as that saying goes, we have a lot of acquaintances, but very few friends. Right. And I have those friends, those guys that I lean on uh, and mentors, you know, to help when I do have those times of of crisis or turmoil. I have good wingmen. When you think of the Cowboys back then, when you were having, um, you hadn't met, you hadn't really made those deep friendships, who really stepped up for you and became a really good friend? You know, the guys on, that I did was a, an offensive lineman, John Giesick, probably. Yeah. And he comes to Wingman, and he's a, been a part of my life for a long time. But he's just one of those guys that, um, you know, we got we had a common background. You know, we're very, trying to be, you know, very family-centric in a lifestyle that has a tendency to, to drift from that. And he was a good support for me and, a, you know, at times a good sounding box. That's wonderful. When did you meet your wife? I met my wife a couple months before I graduated from the Air Force Academy. Oh, really? So she, yeah. Wow. So we dated. Oh, wow. We didn't really start to date until after I graduated from the Air Force Academy. And it was a long-distance relationship for us. We'd see each other about uh, once a month for a weekend. Either I'd fly up to Colorado Springs where she was living at the time or she'd come down to where I was at at pilot training. And we ended up getting married a couple weeks before I deployed on our first active duty assignment overseas. So she's been through wow. it all with me. And for a small town girl from Colorado uh, that's never really traveled outside of Colorado to drag her overseas. And Gosh. oh, by the way, I'm going to be deployed half the time 
because of the war, just because of the missions that I was flying, she, she had to grow up quite a bit herself. Well, and you guys have been married a long time. How long? 25 years. And two children? Two children. Oh, good. I didn't leave out any. No. Two <laughs> children, and we've had several dogs and, and dogs. guinea pigs and everything yeah, else. Really, you have a really awesome dog right now, <laughs> yeah. Bo. He came in, he's huge. Well, when you, you know, and that's something I didn't mention about your life of excellence. Um, I don't know if you would agree that your your marriage has been, a, you know, living excellence in your marriage. I don't know. Maybe I should ask your wife, but. <laughs> yeah, well, she might have a different opinion. You know, but, you know, marriage is, is like any type of relationships. It takes work. And I think there's that fallacy in our culture that, you know, once you get married, it's it's all roses and it's all ups and there's no challenges. And once people face adversity, they think, okay, it's time to move on to the next mm-hmm. relationship. But, you know, that's the same way in the Christian walk, too. When you make that profession of faith, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a life of health, wealth, and prosperity. It Life's challenges, ups and downs. There's pains, there's joy. You know, but we have an opportunity to learn from all of that. And for me, the biggest lessons I ever learned in my life were times of trial and turmoil. Don't you think that if men, I mean, a lot of divorces come from people just being, I mean, truly in deep pain or deep loneliness, you know. And But if they have a support group and they have a really good support group of men, friends, you know, um, family around or people that they really can lean on, they can get through it. It's just when people isolate and they get in that deep pain, they, they don't think they can handle it. Well, they don't think they can handle it. Plus, they don't see... They need a fresh perspective. Yeah, that's a good Because we have a very myopic view of the world that we have our own, I'll call it, perception of reality. And for me, that's probably the next book I'm going to write, is that perception is not reality. That unfortunately for a lot of us, we see the world through our own experience, but that doesn't necessarily make it true in many cases. So to get another person's perspective and another one that has your best interests in mind and in their heart, you know, where well, they won't steer you wrong, where it's, it may be, you know, your own buffoonery as a man, that's the cause of it and you need to step it up or there may be other instances, whatever it might be, but to have those relationships are essential, whether the marriage, whether it's in business or whatever, we need those in life, period. Well, and if people want to um, get involved in the Wingmen ministry, how would they do that? Go to the website, wingmen.com. Dot org, O-R-G. And, um, you know, they can contact us there. And we, the whole premise of the ministry is we do corporate events where I bring in speakers that are, you know, motivational or whatnot. And they're typically, you know, not pastor types. They're from all walks of life, businessmen, celebrities, athletes, uh, people that just have a phenomenal testimony. Get in and inspire the guys. But the lifeblood of, of the ministry is I call them my groups, or they're small groups that meet throughout, you know, the Metroplex and throughout the country, for that matter. Really? And That's these awesome. are just guys that, you know, they profess a belief in Christ, first and foremost, but they're autonomous groups. I give them the option, you know, as long as you don't go in the ditch, meaning theologically or, or philosophy or philosophically, you know, you can be a part of it. I don't care what you do. But... Um, so we have individuals that do reach out to us that want to start a wingman group in their in their church or, you know, they're isolated from wherever. We've had groups as far away as Abu Dhabi. Wow, that's far. So, <laughs> yeah, the other side of the world. But it's, it's, it's it, for me, I just share with guys, it doesn't matter whether you're part of wingman, you call it wingman or whatever you call it, as long as you do it. 
I don't care. Just do it. We need that in our lives, you know, to get through life. Well, and the one, you know, in Grapevine is my husband goes to that one. And I know Ray from uh, Ray Maldonado goes to that mm-hmm. from the In and Out Company, um, and you know they find it very wonderful. And um, the speakers have been phenomenal. So I just encourage you guys to consider if you're a man out there and you're isolated, you don't have a sport group, reach out to Wingmen. Um, yeah. It'll change your life. Yeah. So we'll take a break now. When we get back, since you mentioned your books. I want to hear about your new book coming out and your other two books. You have two more books, right? We'll hear about that right after break. You guys just stay here. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to LifeSolutionsCoachingAndCounseling.com or email them at LifeSolutions cc at yahoo.com most married men experience frustration because there are things they want from their wives but don't know how to get them nothing seems to work desires are unfulfilled fantasies unrealized and relationships become stagnant men are desperate today for a richer deeper more satisfying and intimate marriage dr jim slaughter teaches men how to have the passionate fulfilling marriage they've always wanted call 817-991-4964 or email jslaughterphd at yahoo.com to begin transforming your marriage into what you want it to be We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm Ann Beal, and I am here with Chad Hennings from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Nine-year career with the Dallas Cowboys, uh, three Super Bowl championships, um, pilot in the Air Force, and, of course, wonderful man of God with men's ministry and a philanthropist. So we are back. We talked about Chad's service in the Air Force and his football time with the Cowboys. And we talked about his men's ministry called Wingmen in the second segment. And now we're going to talk about his books. He is quite a writer. He has three books. Three books. Yes, three books. One, uh, first one I wrote called It Takes Commitment back well, when I was playing for the Cowboys right after Super Bowl Thirty in 1996, that book came out. And that was more of a kind of an autobiographical book on the virtue of commitment, being committed to you know, life. And that was uh, my first venture at that. And then I wrote a book that came out about five years ago called Rules of Engagement, Finding Faith and Purpose in a Disconnected World. And that book is regarding, um, I I use a lot of military analogies, but a lot of lessons I learned from the Wingman Ministry about uh, what it means to be a man, you know, taking care of yourself as well as the importance of relationships. 
and I talk about uh, basic training in that book where, you know, where I talk about the importance of money for an individual, the importance of relationships, and the importance of, you know, self-help. You know, a lot of things in, in that we talked in the last segment, but then the second half of the book was active duty. Now that you kind of taken care of your, your garden or you're planted, how you impact your community, you getting out serving in, in different nonprofit functions, in ministry, in, in business, whatnot. But my latest venture of a book that's coming out <clears throat> actually this week, and you can get it right now on you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera, or just go to the website forcesofcharacter.com is a book that where I interviewed and I actually sat down, like what you're doing, Ann, yeah. with having conversations with 10 individuals um, that I deem these individuals are, are forces of character. Some you've probably heard of and, and other individuals there that you, you probably, most people haven't, but all have phenomenal, valid stories about their life of being a force of character. And I define force of character just by individuals who live their best self every day, who inspire others to do the same. And then the organizations that they're a part of, whether that be a team, a ministry, a business, a community, whatnot, they help that entity rise up to a higher noble purpose or cause. And they, they exemplify what I call functional or moral character. And, and these are individuals like Roger Staubach, former wow. great. And these are all individuals, again, that I've had you know, that I have a personal relationship with over the years. And another one was my teammate, Troy Aikman, Hall of Fame quarterback, now announcer on Fox. And another one was uh, Jason Garrett, coach, head coach for the Cowboys, who is a, definitely a uh, breathing into the same philosophy corporately that, that I do in regards to impacting culture through, through character. Another individual was uh, coach for the uh, San Antonio Spurs, Greg Popovich. He was an Air Force Academy graduate. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there he is. I did a, another one was a Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Yeah, that's awesome. Phenomenal interview. I was just blown away by, by his story. Um, <clears throat> I interviewed an Auschwitz survivor, Dr. Edith Eager. I re- reviewed an uh, international uh, human rights lawyer, attorney who was a former religious dissident out of communist Romania, Virginia Prodan. Uh, interviewed uh, Bob Sweeney, who's the director for Dallas Life Homeless Shelter, who's a nationally renowned uh, expert on on homelessness and and helping people transition from being homeless to being back into society. Interviewed a space shuttle commander, Tom Hendricks, former Air Force Academy graduate, who uh, was a commander on on several sp- uh, shuttle missions. Um, who am I missing? Oh, then uh, Carrie Casey, who's the director for the National Center on Fathering. All these individuals have a very diverse backgrounds, but the thing that unifies them, brings them together, that they're all forces of, of character. They exemplify, you know, courageousness. They've made, you know, decisions when they come to those crossroads on things that, you know, to serve others. And exemplify, you know, moral courage as well as the functional courage. That is amazing that you found all those people. How did you hear about all those people? Well, just over again, time? Well, and just relationships of meeting them over yes. time. That, you know, being a former Dallas Cowboy or whatnot has allowed me <laughs> the opportunity to, to meet some pretty cool individuals. Yeah. But again, you know, the, the stories, those individuals that to me were more inspiring, and I'm not denigrating those other individuals, but they were the individuals that people have never really heard about. Right. Like Dr. Eager, can you imagine being on a, a, a cattle car? going from Hungary to, to Auschwitz in Poland, 
where your father and your were already separated from your parents and your mother's on there and and her mother you know puts her face in her arms as she's a 16 year old girl and says Edie we're not sure where we're going but always remember they can't take away from you what's what's in your mind and as soon as she gets off the car she comes face to face with uh, Dr. Yosef Mengele the angel of death mm. he gives the the thumb to her, her sister and her to go down one line and her mother to go down another line and her mother ends up going to the gas chamber right then and there and how she had to she was a classically trained ballerina and she had to dance before Yosef Mengele for his dinner so to, to know that he just murdered your mother mm. but to have the presence of mind to you know to she prayed for him while she was dancing for him and, and you know starving and just stories like that another story another female Virginia Prodan the human rights attorney she grew up in, in communist Romania uh end up being able to come to the U.S. She was an attorney in Romania. She came to the U.S. not speaking English. She was a single mother, two kids, went through SMU law school, worked full time, you know, supported her family within a four-year period, graduated in the top 25% of her class, and was able to do all that. I mean, who has that type of work ethic or resilience or determination to be able to do that? A phenomenal inspirational story that, you know, despite what life throws at you, to still be able to overcome and, it and is to succeed. A, you know, to go through the law school when they, English is not even their original language, and they have to reread things like, like seven times in order to get it. I mean, they work, what, seven times harder than anyone else there. Exactly. And, and yet, then to raise two kids and not have any, any support by, beside that. It's amazing. And then another, you know, just another story, Kerry Casey, he, you know, his claim to fame, he says, for those of you who are movie buffs or aficionados, he played on the team that played uh, the movie, uh, Remember the Titans, Denzel Washington. He was in high school, he was on the opposing state championship team that really? ended up losing. But uh, he tells a story about growing up in Virginia back in the 50s and 60s when it was still segregated. Where he he's an African American walks into a gas station with his father when he was Kerry was only maybe six years old, and walked in the gas station say hey, his father saying I need to fill my car up with gas and there's several white men standing at are sitting at a bar it was a soda fountain or whatnot turn around and says you know basically we don't serve your kind here, and Kerry's father looking down at him and he says Kerry you know evidently that man doesn't know my name because he called him a certain N word, and Kerry. Uh, said, I saw my father keep calm, and he went up and talked with the gentleman who towered over him, and he said that gentleman went out and he filled my dad's car up with gas. And he said, I learned there from a lesson from my father, you know, to, to, to use my intellect, use my reason, right. not to be emotional, and that, you know, to have that Christian empathy for people because they don't know. You know, they just, you know, we're called to reach out and to love people that, that may flash out at us, but we may not know that individual's background. So it's just, and he's gone on now to mentor so many young African-American men, black men that, you know, grew up without a father, without any direction, without any identity as to who they are and what it means to be a man. Um, so there's just, there's all kinds of these stories in, in the book that I think are, are going to be very impactful for, for people to inspire them, as well as to encourage them that, you know, character is a choice, leadership is a choice. We have a choice every day when we wake up as to the person that we want to be and to become. And you can change that at any time if you have made mistakes in the past. And, um, you know, next week we're going to talk about that. I have a um, one of the best life coaches in the area on about releasing the past um, and just being able to start again. 
today. And as character, you can do that. You can make a decision today to live excellent, to live high character. Um, I I wanted to, um, you know, it's amazing about your book, because when I think about back when you were on the Cowboys team, the kind of people that were on that team, um, of course, when, when Landry was the coach, it was such a, you know, I don't know, godly team. I mean, there were so many Christians on that team, and they prayed, and they there was such a bond there. And um, and then Jimmy Johnson was Jimmy Johnson your coach. Yeah. It was just a whole different dynamic. Um, people people say you know they kid around about it. it's not America's team anymore. You know um, that the they don't you know they they don't pray together. They don't do all this kind of stuff. So that's not God's team anymore. And you know I hear these comments, but when you think of you know, character, when I think of back then, so many of those players were such high character. And I'm not saying there aren't anymore. There are. You know, I, I, I love Jason Witten. Yeah, Witten. Okay. And so I, I think of these, you know, people. But when you played, I mean, you know, that people are in an awe of the Cowboys then. You won like three Super Bowl championships in four years. I mean, that's kind of unbelievable. They only won three, right? Was it? F- three out of four. Yeah. Three out of four. Yeah, that's amazing that you played four years. And you won three Super Bowls. First four years were three right. Super Bowl championship victories, yeah. You know, but, and I'll tell you, that's, that's another thing that, just with what you said, that sometimes perception is not reality. Exactly. You know, back in Landry's era, Tom was, and, and Roger talks about this. I interview, my interview with, my conversation with Roger talked about, a little bit about this. I asked him specifically those questions, you know, how you lead the guys, because they had some characters back then too, <laughs> North Dallas 40. That the only difference between then and now was that they didn't have a media that, you know, uh-huh. followed the guys everywhere that highlighted um, a lot of the extracurricular activities that some of the players did, you know, and the, and because of the strong leadership of Tom Landry and his perception in the community that, you know, that's why they kind of went with America's team, but. You know, back when I played, there was a lot of strong Christians on the team. Right. There was a lot of guys in the neighborhood are going out in the community doing great things with their foundations, helping kids, etc. That um, when we did pray together, we had Bible studies. We had that. Not that everybody was called to do that, but right. but you know there were those influences in the locker room. Um, and and you guys were really team players. I mean, well, it, it was seems like they weren't all that. Every single person didn't have that notoriety as being this awesome, you know, multi-million-dollar whatever individual. You know, it was more of a team mindset. I can honestly say the guys, you know, and during that particular first four years when we won three Super Bowls, there was no animosity, no jealousy between the players. Everybody was there for a main reason that was to win football games and to win championships. And because of the success that we had in that rapid period of time, you know, over time, that's when. Once I'll call once people don't have their why answered as to why they're doing what they're doing. Their why. Their why answer. Yeah. They don't have that identity or that ownership as to who they are. That's when a lot of the jealousy and the animosity and, and the selfishness and it's became more about me as a player to pad my statistics to either get that next contract or, or whatnot began to denigrate and, and against the team. And you mentioned some of the characters on that team. There were a lot of the guys that um when you mention character is a choice that no matter what your past is, you always do have a choice. You do. And the one individual that, you know, back when we played, he and I didn't get along so well. We, we butted heads a little bit. Um, is Charles Haley. 
but he ended up being, you know, he's a Hall of Famer now. I went to his induction. But Charles and I, are, we do a lot of different things together where we mentor some inner city kids. And, and I love Charles Haley. He's totally changed his life around and, and has taken ownership in who he is. And he realizes that God put him on this earth for, you know, to be a great football player, but he can use that platform to impact others. Wow, what a great way to end the show. Thank you, Chad, so much for being on. And you guys get his book, Forces of Character. It comes out this week. Yep, you can get it right now on, on, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble and or just go to the website, forcesofcharacter.com. Or as well, you can go to chadhennings.com That's to right. learn more about Chad Hennings. He speaks all over the world. And if you want to have him come speak, he's a great speaker. Thank you. Thank you, you so much for being on. And you guys tune in next week too to hear more about releasing the past and starting new today. Take care. You guys have a great week. Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.